I have done something that we typically uh, have not done. I printed the scripture passage uh, out in your bulletin. Because of the Easter cantata, I had skipped over the responsive reading, but just as I was getting ready to come up here, I was looking down at the scripture reading, kind of going over it again in my mind, and I noticed that since it's a psalm, it's broken out into verse form, and so I thought, let's stretch ourselves out a bit and try and and do something that we normally don't do and that is go off script. We Presbyterians like to do things decently and in order. So what I'm going to ask you to do is since you have the scripture passage printed out for you and since it's in verse form, since it's from the Psalms, I'll read the first paragraph and you can respond by reading the second paragraph and uh, so on and so forth. And let's see how this goes. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And let's all say verse 11 as it is such a glorious verse you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures evermore amen let me quickly pray and ask that God would add his blessing to the reading and also the hearing of his word let's pray almighty God we thank you for this psalm as it points us beyond our lives to Jesus Christ um, who did not see corruption for you uh, raised him gloriously from the grave Father I pray that you would be our teacher that you would give us wisdom as I now open your word in your people's hearing I pray that your word would have its uh, perfect work and that would accomplish everything that you have purposed for it to accomplish. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While Jesus lived on earth, he worshipped at the synagogue every Sabbath day, and their Sabbath day, of course, was on Saturday. And a large part of their synagogue worship consisted in the singing and the reading of psalms. And what's so funny about this is that when Jesus sang the Psalms, or when he read the Psalms along with the rest of the congregation, he was actually singing and reading about himself. 
all of the Psalms point in one degree or another to Jesus Christ. And Psalm 16 is an especially Christ-centered psalm. King David wrote Psalm 16 during his long 40-year reign over the nation of Israel. And it's a psalm of David's trust in God as he ruled over God's people. In verses 1 and 2, David spoke of his dependence upon God. And so we read, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And then in verse 3, David speaks of his delight in the people over whom he is ruling. But in verse 4, he expresses his heartfelt sorrow over those who are running after false gods. And so we read in verse 3 and 4, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. And then in verses 5 through 8, King David spoke of his trust in God's providence and also in God's wisdom as God led and directed David as he again was ruling over his people. So he said, the Lord is my chosen portion in verse 5. He is my cup. Uh, You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. It's pretty standard practice. I don't know if you've noticed this, but but I like keeping abreast of of the goings-ons of the day. And it's pretty standard practice for the media to start comparing side-by-side photos of our presidents near the end of their first term. And the comparison generally is how they looked when they were first inaugurated as opposed to what they looked like four years into their first term. And uh, the, the, the point is just how stressful their job is Uh, And how quickly, because of the stress, the aging process um, can really be. It's always stunning to see uh, the inauguration pictures compared with uh, those pictures from four years later. In fact, I seem to remember about a year ago, they started doing this with President Obama. And they were focusing in on his hair. And they were showing his inauguration. And then they were showing uh, his hair and and how much grayer it had become just after uh, several months in office. But you look now and and his his hair has turned back uh, several shades darker. So uh, we wonder how that has taken place. None of you knew me before I moved here. None of you knew me before I had teenage uh, children. I had rich, brown, dark hair before then. Leading and being responsible for a whole nation of people obviously weighs heavily on a person. When you lay down at night, 
you take the burden with you. When you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing on your mind. And so you can even see here in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. David knew that one bad decision could lead to a long train of consequences for the nation that he rules. And every leader, every, all of our presidents, have had the weight, uh, the burden uh, there upon them, knowing the, uh, just how critical and how consequential all of their decisions can be for so many people. And so this was David's experience as the king of Israel. And you can see here in this psalm how important it was for David to have this strong, this deep, this immovable, unshakable trust in God as he led the nation. And so that's why he said here in verse 9, in the first part of verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. God is with me. God is instructing me. God is my portion, my cup. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is helping me lead His people. But in the second half of verse 9, David transitions his focus. He looks beyond the present life and circumstances. He looks to his eternal destiny. Not only will God help him to lead the nation... God will also bring David into glory. And so he says in the second half of verse 9, My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. David lived a pretty successful life. He had some bumps in the roads, uh, certainly enough. But generally, when you are called a man after God's own heart, when you have been blessed by God, you can look at that man and say, there's a successful man. But what good is success and happiness here if here is all there is? Without eternity, everything is temporary. It's transient. Is momentary. It's all fleeting. Hitler thought he could cheat um, the responsibility for his wickedness by committing suicide as the Russians closed in around him. But he found, I assure you, that there is an eternity that awaits where every wrong is brought into judgment. There's an eternity that awaits us, that gives meaning and gives substance to our lives here on earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Uh, the, the preacher there, uh, Solomon, said, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. 
For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing while done in the body, whether it is good or evil. If you're thinking, well, that's just Old Testament. Well, the same thing is essentially said in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. The coming judgment that all of us will face certainly does give meaning and substance to every one of our actions, to our every loose word, to our every stray thought that no one ever knows, but God knows them. And He will bring them into judgment one day. David, unlike Hitler, did not use death as an escape hatch to flee temporal responsibilities. But neither did he fear death. He knew that, de- that in death he still had a security uh, and that his soul would not stay in the grave. He knew that this life was not all that there is. Look at verse 10 again. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. And if you have your Bibles open, maybe your translation may say Sheol. Some of the older translations, like King James, may use the word Hades. What this means here in this context is the word is, is the word grave. In other words, David believed in the resurrection of the dead. And although David wrote about his own trust in God here in this psalm, this psalm points beyond David. And it points to the true Son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the second half of verse 10 is really the pivotal verse. It says, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. What's interesting here is that David died. And he was buried in Jerusalem. His soul went to heaven, but his body stayed in the grave. So what does it mean when he, when he wrote that God would not let your Holy One see corruption? Well, we believe in Scripture, interpreting Scripture, that when you have one unclear passage, you should see if another passage of Scripture helps you understand what that unclear passage means. And so the Apostle Peter is real helpful here. Also the Apostle Paul in Acts 13, but I'm using Acts 2 and the Apostle Peter in his preaching at the Pentecost sermon because he's just so clear and and clears up what David meant here in Psalm 16 verse 10. In the Pentecost sermon, just seven weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, Peter quoted the last several verses of Psalm 16 in his sermon. And then he said, Brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Did you hear that? David foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ in Psalm 16. And that's why he specifically said that the body of God's Holy One would not see corruption. David's body saw corruption. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. His body did not see corruption. This phrase here in verse 10, in other words, unquestionably points directly to Jesus Christ. And it was written hundreds of years before He came and lived and died and was resurrected. This whole psalm looks beyond David and it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The first part of the psalm speaks of of Christ's trust in God as His life moved toward the culmination uh, on the cross. And it was not easy for Jesus to go to the cross. He didn't simply say, well, I'm going to be resurrected and so thought flippantly about the cross. No. We read in the Gospels how he struggled. My God, if you are willing, please allow this cup to pass from me. It was a difficult thing for our Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross. But Psalm 16 talks about his implicit trust. Even while he struggled, his faith was firmly implanted in God his Father. And that's why he said, as Jesus, in in verse 1 in Psalm 16, he remembered that God was his his refuge. In verse 5, he remembered that God was his portion. He remembered that God's plan for him to go to the cross are good and right. Verse 6, you have laid for me my lines in pleasant places. Even though they would be painful lines to cross, to bear... Jesus knew that they were good and perfect plans that God had laid out for him. And that God would be with him through the trials that would accompany him in his betrayal and crucifixion. And that's why he says in verses 7 and 8, The Lord gives me counsel. I, the Lord is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And Jesus knows that God would not abandon his soul to the grave nor let his body experience decay and that he would be raised indeed on the third day. We are gathered here this morning because we believe that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, entrusted himself to God, that he went to that awful cross And he went there and was willing to have himself stretched out and have those nails driven through his hands and through his feet and to have that crown of thorns pressed down into his skull in order that he might die for sinners and that he might be raised bodily from the dead for our justification. 
We have gathered here this morning to worship the living Savior. He who, was, who, who the grave could not contain. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is the central fact of history. All of world history revolves around Jesus Christ and His life here on earth culminated with His glorious resurrection. All of your life must be centered on this fact. God created this world for the central purpose of displaying His glory by sending Jesus Christ into this world to suffer and bleed and die for sinners and then to raise uh, His to raise Jesus then from the grave in glory. There is an eternity that gives meaning and purpose to your life here on earth. And there is a judgment that is awaiting everyone when we pass from this life and into the next. God is just. That means that He must punish sin. He must judge sin, otherwise He would not be a just God. But in His love, He was motivated to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and and become sin for sinners and to suffer the judgment in their place. All we can do is cast our trust into Jesus. And let Him take the judgment for us. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you trusting Jesus Christ right now? I'm not asking if you've trusted Him in the past. I'm asking, are you trusting Him right now? In closing, I want to turn your attention back to the first part of Psalm 16 and all those references to David and also to Jesus trusting God in spite of the unpleasant circumstances or the difficult circumstances in which David as king and Jesus as the Messiah had to undergo. As I said to those who attended the sunrise service, we live in very difficult times. And I mention it again because I know the stress that our country is feeling right now. And I know that many of you undoubtedly are living under very difficult circumstances and have brought the stress of those circumstances with you here this morning. And I think it's right that you would bring the stress of those circumstances here with you this morning. We don't ask you to check your life at the door. Rather... We say, come and worship Jesus Christ. And as you worship Him, remember His love for you. Remember His power. And He enables you to look above your circumstances and focus on God. And then those circumstances that seem so big that cloud our, cloud our entire vision begin to shrink in comparison to Him. As I said, I think it's safe to say that all of us to one degree or another are going through various trials. 
But the reason that both David and Jesus could place their unwavering trust in God is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ that was prophesied in verse 10 gives certainty to David and Jesus' hope in verses 1 through 9. We can know that God will be our refuge in difficult times. We can know that God will always be our portion, will always be our guide, will always be our protector as we move through this life because Jesus was raised from the dead. Christ's resurrection is God's seal to us of His faithfulness to us. This is a staggering thought for me. Jesus died and was resurrected for me. Jesus Christ was di- died and was resurrected for sinners. And after we live here, after we live our lives here on earth with God, Jesus' resurrection guarantees us that He will also resurrect our life into glory and into unbroken fellowship with Him. Let's pray together. God, as I have been laboring to preach to my own soul and to those who are in my hearing of the importance and the centrality and the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Father, I feel my own inadequacy and I pray that Your Spirit would bring these truths home to Your people. And Father, if there are any here who have struggled with this whole concept of the resurrection of Christ, Father, I ask that You would give them faith to take hold of Christ and trust in Him and believe that He indeed is risen from the dead and is at Your right hand, ruling, governing, and protecting us. Father, we worship You this resurrection day. And I pray that You would help us to keep our eyes today, through this week and forevermore, fixed on our Lord Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Our